Hello and welcome to the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Robin Hicks, Deputy Editor of Eco Business. Today we're going to talk about finance and the sort of finance that involves you and me, the regular high street consumer who parks their hard earned money in a bank. Most of us don't see ourselves as investors, but we are, and our money is having an impact right now as banks move our money around. Banks make decisions about what to invest our money in without telling us. And some of that money is being pumped into things we might be uncomfortable with, like, say, fossil fuels, weapons or tobacco. But can we take control of how banks spend our money? I'm going to be talking about this on this podcast with Maya Singh, the co-founder of Mattervest, a startup that helps young people invest their money in things that align with their values. Maya is also involved in a campaign called My Money, My Planet, which calls on consumers to pressure their banks to tell them about how their money is being spent. So welcome to the show, Maya. Thanks for having me, Robin. Uh, It's great to be here and again catch up after some time and uh, talk about this very relevant topic, which is still less talked about. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not talked about a lot, is it? I mean, compared to green bonds and that side of finance. We don't really talk about the consumer side as much, so it's good to have you on the show. Um, first question I'd like to ask you is, so how much impact does the money we have sitting in the bank actually have? And can we as consumers really change the way that money is spent through our banks? No, I think that's a great one, and that's where I think my journey started when I started looking at sustainable finance, having been looking at the consumption side of sustainability for the last three, four years. and. Um, What I realized in my own journey was that basically sustainable consumption literally is the tip of the iceberg. Um, Savings, because you, I, everyone who's earning income or getting income through any other source or wealth, all of it is saved in a bank, most probably. And that money is being used by the bank to invest in companies, give it out as loans to individuals or companies, and any other way they're looking to use that money. If you accumulate that, that's that's basically most of the money that exists in this world. And uh, as individuals, we are basically kind of lending our money to the bank because that's the business model of a bank. They take the money from you, they give you a small interest rate in a developed economy, um, and uh, they give out the money at slightly higher interest rates, and the spread or the difference is how they make money. So essentially what we are talking about is impact that can be created by capital that exists across the world. And there is a research from Nordia, which is a Swedish bank, where what they did was they have compared, and this data is specific to Sweden though, they have compared if you change your daily consumption habits, like taking a train instead of flying, or basically uh, switching your straw, taking one less shower a day, these regular habits versus saving your money or saving your money for your pension in a sustainable option, sustainable finance option. And the impact is 27 times more if you save your money in a sustainable way as compared to doing these daily habits. Doesn't mean to say that you should not consume sustainably, but it means that the impact of this site can be much, much larger. So that's the level of impact it can reach to. That's what I would say. Yeah, because um, a lot of emphasis at the moment is being placed. I mean, governments, they like to say how much um, individual action 
can go a long way to saving the world, like um, using less water, having a shorter shower, etc. But what you're saying is that the money in your bank can have a much greater impact. That's really interesting. And it is still individual action, right, Robin? Because yes. it's, it's kind of uh, linked to how we save. And that's, that's where I think the whole thesis of sustainable finance kind of started. Uh, of course, today it's really focused much more on institutional investors, and that's kind of how most of the financial sectors are in general built. But uh, that is at the core of it, that individual action should matter not just on consumption side, but also on the saving side. Absolutely. So, um, in the context of Asia, um, we're talking to, other now, to each other now in Singapore. Do we know how much money through our banks is being uh, spent in unsustainable ways, such as um, guns, unhealthy food, uh, slave labour, etc.? Do we have any idea how much of our hard-earned money is going towards bad things? That's a, that would be like really a great question to answer, and I think, frankly, might be my me not knowing the number, but as far as I know, no, the answer is definitely a no. We don't know how it exactly happens. Since we are in Singapore, so we can take Singapore for example, and uh, I think Singapore started working towards sustainable finance four to five years back, and you've seen a whole change in not just sustainable finance, but sustainability overall becoming a core agenda at a national level. Um, and um, what that led to is um, the compulsory sustainable reporting, which came two years back, a slew of other measures. Some. So most of the Singaporean banks will come out with a sustainability report. However, I think sustainability reporting is something that gives you flavor of what the organization is doing, uh, where it's kind of what are the things they are supporting. And, uh, but you cannot aggregate all of that to say that this much money went exactly here. And uh, this was the genesis, and this is not a problem just in Singapore, actually. Uh, if, you, if you go further away in Asia, I mean, Indonesia and all, I have no clue of what, where to even look for data like this. And uh, similarly, you can go across Asia and this will be a huge challenge. Um, with MatterWest, while most of our work is in Europe, where sustainable finance is almost 50% of the global market actually exists in Europe. So it's, it's, a, it's a conversation which started a bit earlier there. So they're the leaders there. But over there also, you. Uh, you don't really know as an individual where your money is actually getting invested and in, which is kind of your consumer right anyway. And that's why actually we started the campaign called My Money, My Planet, wherein we basically looked at different players in this ecosystem, right? So you have banks, you have asset managers, you have financial advisors, and then you have the retail investor or the consumer. And uh, we were like, one of the basic tenets of building anything in sustainability is transparency. You cannot have sustainability before having transparency. It's very tough to do that. So we started with this camp the campaign with an idea that you can join the campaign, you can actually sign a manifesto. On behalf of you, we send a letter to your bank just asking an explanation of where your money, which is in your savings account, is actually getting invested. And that was quite exciting because I think we took a different approach uh, wherein we basically are not saying that banks are not telling us. Our approach is actually two-faced wherein we are firstly increasing awareness on the side of the consumer saying that, hey, you can actually make an impact with your money. 
hey, by the way, you also have the right to ask your bank what is happening. So whereas on the banking side, we actually had a call with a couple of banks in Europe and they took us through the whole presentation of what the sustainability strategy is. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to bridge this communication gap that exists because it's not like things are not happening. There's a lot happening, but if you send some consumer a 300-page report as a PDF and then wash your hands of it, maybe that's not the right approach moving forward and why moving forward to become more sustainable. So that's what we're trying to do with the campaign. And we started it in Europe. There was a bit of traction in Singapore with a few student groups in anyways joining it. But we're thinking of launching it in October in Singapore as well. Interesting, right. And, and what's your sense on what sort of appetite consumers in this part of the world, in Asia, Pacific, Southeast Asia, have for pressuring their banks to tell them um, how their money is being spent? I mean, you mentioned Singapore, there's been an interesting uh, uprising of sorts of among students to ask their universities um, to stop um, investing in fossil fuels, for example. So you get the sense that there is that appetite, but um, what about the rest of the region? What's your sense on how much consumers want to know um, from their banks how their money is being spent? It's, it's tricky. Honestly, it's tricky because uh, even before we get to this question, it's uh, doing the linkage of sustainability with their money. It's, it's not an intuitive concept. People don't think of money that way, honestly because um, the way people think of money in, uh, people think of sustainability today in Asia is mostly around the consumption side, that what I'm consuming should become sustainable, what I'm consuming should become organic, it should be cage-free chicken or something like that, right? So that's where I think the change is in Asia. It's, it's kind of a non-intuitive concept, but I think that is where the whole purpose of our campaign is to increase awareness. And of course, we will have drop-offs between people who we increase awareness for and people who actually take action. But personally, I feel that one of the great things on Asia is that you can, you can make things much more scalable and viral here once you have crossed the awareness hurdle. So yes, I think we are at the awareness stage. But what would be exciting to do in Asia also is because um, Asia has a huge unbanked population, which a lot of startups are attracting, right? Now, uh, I can tell you uh, something that we get here a lot in Germany is that um, N26, which is kind of a, uh, a digital bank, and people have this perception that everything tech is just sustainable. And that's just not true at all. There's a, there's a lot of server capacity and a lot of emissions that happen every time you use a digital bank. And uh, I think it will be interesting to see uh, as we scale the campaign and go beyond banks um, to the unbanked and how do they react to this as well. But to begin with, I would say cities like Singapore right, where sustainability is becoming a core topic that is talked about. I do expect people to add, ask questions and we've had people asking questions to Singaporean banks and they have got responses actually. So, so it's kind of, kind of started. So. Uh, hoping that more and more people will jump up and like I said again and again, the idea is not to criticize the banks, but the idea is to kind of start a dialogue on this. Interesting, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the response from the banks. You said that um, there has been a response from Singapore. The reason I ask is because well, in Singapore's case, it's the first country in Southeast Asia where you've seen banks um, say that they'll stop funding coal which is interesting, um, and 
the hope is that that will spread from Singapore as the biggest financial centre in Southeast Asia to Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam, elsewhere. And what's your sense on the response from banks in this part of the world to, to a survey like this? Do you think they'll um, take uh, consumers' perspective seriously? I think at the end of the day, they need to, right? Because the consumers are their ultimate clients because the money comes from here and then it gets distributed. But uh, I think it's a, it's a process and that's what they need to be able to uh, explain clearly. And I think it's not just about Asia. Banking is just complicated. And uh, sometimes, as an ex-banker, I also know that it's intentionally made complicated also. Uh, but uh, um, it's it's... I think it's very important for banks to realize that the retail customers need to be explained. And on the other hand, the retail consumers need to realize that this is their right to demand this. Now, um, what I mean by this is that what we have seen, there's been a range of responses. Um, and I would divide banks in general into like three categories. One is large multinational banks. So banks like Deutsche, right, which are all over the world. Um, in most major countries across the world. Then you have uh, regional banks which will exist in a country or two. Southeast Asia actually tends to have a few of them, uh, with a few of the Malaysian banks, maybe Indonesia and the other regions as well. And the third is single country bank, which are smaller banks. Now, I, of course, Asia has a lot of that. India would have a lot of them actually with a complex age-old banking system. But, um, um, in terms of the responses, it's quite interesting because the way we have seen it in Europe is that the most sustainable the bank is, and for us, uh, the way we define sustainable is based on a ranking by Fair Finance, which is which is an Oxfam initiative in which they rank banks across, I think, eight or ten countries, involving two, three Asian countries as well. Um, the more the sustainability of a bank as per this ranking, the shorter was their response. So that was very interesting to see actually because they were very crisp and very clear in their responses. They did not give huge sustainability reports. They gave a three-page document which very clearly said, we do this, we invest our money here. This is what we don't touch. These are the things we're trying to improve on. That's all. Because honestly, the customer doesn't have more time or understanding to, and this, this is all one person needs to know. Um, so that's the range of responses that we have seen. One big difference that exists, however, is that Europe, um, well, Western Europe, if I was to talk about it in specific, has a lot of actual 100% uh, sustainable banks, actually. So their savings account hypothesis is sustainable. Uh, Asia doesn't have that as yet. So I think that's a big difference. Um, the other thing is this, that there are successful case studies of these banks. So there's a bank called Trados, which has been one of the fastest growing banking organizations in Europe for the last eight to 10 years. And I think they've been around for like 15, 20 years. And they have been kind of driving an alliance for sustainable banking for a long time. And they don't just do savings account or investment products which are sustainable, they do home loans which are sustainable. So it's, it's, I think it's like on the sustainable consumption side where we say that it's always a journey towards zero waste. I think it's the same thing in sustainable finance. There has to, the buck needs to start somewhere and then it will move on. Going back to transparency again, I can't ask you, you know, to what extent do banks 
he said that banks have to be transparent, um, but they don't really. I mean, do they? I mean, Southeast Asia, for example, it's very difficult for any bank not to be involved in coal because that's the biggest source of um, power for many countries. Or agribusiness, which is linked to deforestation, or um, the seafood trade, which has many links into um, human trafficking and stuff like that. So, yeah, you, yeah, I think that transparency piece is it's really interesting, but but tough for banks, right, to get right because they'll inevitably. In, in the start of a bank's journey towards sustainability, be revealing um, to the public um, secrets that they didn't want to, to, to reveal, right? So it's going to be difficult. No, it definitely is. And I think um, from a consumer point of view, you need to understand the complexity of banking operations as well. Um, now, we, we had this conversation when we were talking to banks um, after they got too many letters from us, so they wanted to do a call. Um, which which makes sense because that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to trigger a conversation. Um, so, and some of the concepts they explain make sense. So let's say there's a bank in Asia which has lent out money to an agri business, which is not the most well known for uh, afforestation activities. <laughs> but so, um, but the thing is, is, these loans might be thirty year long loans. So even if the bank says, when the bank says that they're not going to invest in coal or invest in these kind of businesses, they're saying going forward, they will not do it. But their loan book is still exposed to these sectors. And, um, but this is, these are very simple things. But all, I think what we are trying to say is just explain this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think people are stupid. <laughs> people will understand and appreciate it much more. So when we're saying about transparency, I don't think the point is to say that just cut the cord with coal because you cannot. It's very tough, like you rightly said, right? Uh, and uh, it's it's more about explaining that by 2040, we would have phased out 90% of our loan book out of this sector, which is not good for the overall health of the planet. So that is the kind of transparency that we're talking about, I think. And that should be possible to know because you know it internally at least. Interesting. And giving the ultimately giving the consumer the option to perhaps pull their account out of one bank, which they deem not sustainable or not sustainable enough, yeah. and switch it to another one. But um, as you mentioned, banking is complex and one of the last things we do as consumers is move bank accounts because if they're too lazy, it's too complicated, right? But um, I want to ask you about also uh, the emergence of sustainable finance products. There's been a lot of talk about you know banks coming out uh, with sustainable green, supposedly green finance products. But are they are they genuinely green? How green are they? Um, because there's been quite a lot of greenwashing in sustainable finance in the finance sector, right? No, that's definitely an issue, and I think that's being recognised globally by uh, the whole ecosystem, whether whether it is actually the people making the products or retail investors. And uh, uh, it's at a level there's a there's a research group called Two Degree Investing Initiative, which is funded by the EU. It's a non-profit which focuses on uh, studying behavioural patterns in sustainable finance from a retail investor perspective. And in their latest research, they realised that one of the biggest factors which is keeping retail investors or consumers away from sustainable finance is the fear of greenwashing. Uh, because I've taken a commitment to be sustainable with my money, but then what am I actually doing? Uh, 
So um, there, uh, to break that problem down, I think that problem can be broken down to two or three main heads. One of the biggest heads is to understand what do you mean by sustainable finance. There are at least six to seven different definitions today, and that's a challenge. Um, and I'll give quick examples of it so that uh, everyone can understand what we're talking about. Now, the most common uh, definition of sustainable finance is the exclusionary principles. So what that means is that, Robin, you come to me, I'm a financial advisor, I suggest a product to you and I say that, hey, here it is, um, you don't like companies who are based in coal or fossil fuel. This is a portfolio of companies, or this is a product, put your money into it, the money will grow, and you will not be putting money into fossil fuel and coal, let's say, we combine the two. However, it does not say that this is not funding illegal diamond trade from Africa. So, so that's exclusion, right? So it's excluding a certain sector, but may not be excluding other. And that's one of the most common uh, principles in which asset managers make sustainable finance and investment products. So that's one very uh, important thing for the consumer to understand while the advisors and the bankers to communicate as well. It has to be both ways. So that's that's one big issue which causes a lot of greenwashing. Now, um, the other, other parts of it are more focused on uh, how, what actually happens on a reporting side. So the, the reason this is a complex issue is because one is communication of what is happening. But at the end of the day, it's also about what companies are reporting. Because whether it's a bank or whether it's an asset manager, they're going to eventually rely on what is being reported. I mean, uh, uh, we, we are organizing this uh, sustainable finance conference virtually called Step Up, and one of the what we did was we did a case study competition for students, and one of the cases was Volkswagen, right? So Volkswagen had a huge issue uh, regarding the norms under which uh, the vehicles were made. But if the company is not reporting the right information in its sustainability report or anything else, everything else will go away. So there are two sides to the coin. So while there is a need to come up with a standard for the definition, the greenwashing also sometimes emerges because the data that you get might not be right. So, so these two problems need to be solved together. Now what's happening here is that um, the EU is working towards something called the taxonomy which has been passed by the parliament, it should be action in the next couple of years. And what that will ensure is that the conversation, at least in the EU, will start moving towards more of how sustainable a product is from, is the product sustainable or not? So they're trying to get this question out of the window that sustainable finance and finance should become the same thing, which would be a huge, huge step. And taxonomy is one of those very badly worded uh, regulations, I feel, because it's got nothing to do with tax. It's all about defining sustainable finance products. But what it also brings in with it is very good frameworks, which then I think can be adopted globally over a period of time to start defining sustainable finance in a consistent way. The penny is dropping, oh, uh, pardon the pun, about how important our money is in the climate conversation and uh, finally back to sitting up and taking notice. But 
are they moving fast enough to meet climate goals? Any any um, thoughts on that, Maya? I think uh, that's that's that's. That should be a debate everywhere, if you were to ask me honestly, every time people get together, especially if big thought leaders get together, uh, the amount of money that is being channeled and being pooled and how it's being deployed, that's eventually what the capital providers should be worrying about, honestly. Um, are we on track? I think the answer is no. Um, I don't think the SDGs are on track. Um, I was reading some, an article recently about the impact that COVID would have had, uh, an adverse impact in terms of a lot of the climate mitigation and adaptation projects and works that were going on. It's, it's going to be further huge. So instead of moving forward four years, we might be moving backwards one or two years. So that, that makes the problem much more complicated because we only have now, what, 10 years to go? Um, 10 years to, to, achieve, to achieve the SDGs. Yeah, right. Achieve the SDGs at least, right? And uh, I think, if I'm not wrong, uh, a lot of the climate targets are also aligned with the SDGs around 2030. Um, so it, it, it has to become a mainstream conversation. And where I think if you ask me from my personal opinion, I feel that the, that's where the consumers and the retail investors need to come in. You need to bring them in because that is where the biggest pool of capital also is. And if you bring them in, in a society which is largely now aware of what's happening with social media, use it, use it for the better. Try to use human-centered design rather than pushing products. Use value systems-based banking approaches. And the truth is this that I would have said that, okay, maybe 15 years back it was too risky to do it, but it's working. It's working in many parts of the world. But having said that, the issue is, and I don't think the buck should stop only at the banks, the, the bigger problem also is also on the reporting where the companies come in, right? Because at the end of the day, any investment strategy um, has to be catered based on what you told me about your company. So that's, I think that's where this debate Gets, keeps getting passed on from one to another and we don't really move forward fast enough. So are we moving fast enough? I think most people will say no, but are things changing faster than what they were supposed to? Of course, yes, because I think people are seeing the impact of it and uh, people are seeing the costs of it. Um, in fact, um, just to quote another thing from Two Degree, and they did a very interesting research piece on how they did correlations between how COVID impacted the stock market and how COVID was kind of a very steep peak, right? And what they did a simulation was that, let's assume, let's assume this, this is, this is a scary vision, but uh, let's assume that um, the whole climate math has been done that there will be gradual rise, right, of temperatures. What if there is a steep slope somewhere wherein there is no gradual rise, but a steep increase in temperatures um, and it creates a year like COVID. Now, COVID is a virus. It was spreading through human contact. When it's a climate issue, you have a fundamental issue with your whole system on which we run. And the economic losses of that, if we were to forget about people, which we normally 
many times tend to do in the climate conversations as well. Um, uh, the economic losses of that would be astronomical. And they are saying that the patterns are very similar. So maybe there's a reason to build those sensitivities in as well today, because we, learn, we should learn our lesson from COVID. So that's where I think yeah, it's, it's very, very urgent. And it's not just urgent to think about how much time we have left, but also to kind of go into scenarios which can be really, really bad. Absolutely. So COVID is, is really a, a warning sign, as a lot of people are saying. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great place to leave it. Thanks so much for talking to me, Maya. Indeed, what a takeaway is that we as consumers can have impact through our banks. Perhaps it's time you started um, asking our bank managers where our money is being spent and put a bit of pressure on them to tell us. Right, and um, a good place to do that is the My Money, My Planet campaign. So do look out for that. Um, Maya Singh, thank you very much for joining the Eco Business Podcast. Thanks a lot for having me, Robin. That was a great pleasure. This podcast was hosted by Eco Business, Asia Pacific's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media, or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.